Hi, everyone. The version I'm going to read is a bit more simple than what's on the screen, so forgive me for that, but you'll see why. <laughs> so this is Ruth chapter 4, Boaz marries Ruth. Boaz went to the meeting place at the town gate and sat down there. Then Emiliac's nearest relative, the man who Boaz had mentioned, came by, and Boaz called to him. Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over, and he sat down. Then Boaz got ten of the leaders of the town and asked them to sit down there too. When they were seated, he said to his relative, Now that Naomi has come back from Moab, she wants to sell the field that belonged to our relative, Emiliac, and I think you ought to know about it. Now then, if you want to buy it, buy it in the presence of these men sitting here. But if you don't want it, say so, because the right to buy it belongs first to you and then to me. The man said, I will buy it. Boaz said, very well, but if you buy the field from Naomi, then you're also buying Ruth, the Moabite widow, so that the field will stay in the dead man's family. The man answered, in that case, I will give up my right to buy the field because it will mean that my own children would not inherit it. You buy it, I'd rather not. Now in those days, to settle a sale or an exchange of property, it was the custom for the seller to take off his sandal and give it to the buyer. In this way, the Israelites showed that the matter was settled. So when the man said to Boaz, you buy it, he took off his sandal and gave it to Boaz. Then Boaz said to the leaders and all the others there, you are all my witnesses today that I have bought from Naomi everything that belonged to Emiliac and to his sons, Chilion and Malon. In addition, Ruth, the Moabite, Malon's widow, becomes my wife. This will keep the property in the dead man's family and his family line will continue amongst his people and in his hometown. You are witnesses to this today. The leaders and the others said, yes, we are witnesses. May the Lord make your wife become like Rachel and Leah, who bore <coughs> many children to Jacob. May you become rich in the clan of Ephrath and famous in Bethlehem. May the children that the Lord give you by this young woman make your family like the family of Perez, the son of Judah and Tamar. So Boaz took Ruth home as his wife. The Lord blessed her and she became pregnant and had a son. The women said to Naomi, praise the Lord, he's given you a grandson today to take care of you. May the boy become famous in Israel. Your daughter-in-law loves you and has done more for you than seven sons. And now she has given you a grandson who will bring new life to you and give you security in your old age. Naomi took the child, held him close and took care of him. The women of the neighborhood named the boy Obed. They told everybody, a son has been born to Naomi. Obed became the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. This is the family line from Perez to David. Perez, Hezron, Ram, Aminadab, Nashon, Salmon, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this book of Ruth, and we just pray that you'll speak to us through the 
the words, the pages of your word, and that we would come home and go home and think about it and really take this to heart and, and really realize what we can do to change our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first slide, please, Dave. Previously on Ruth, in the last few weeks, Naomi and Ruth have returned to Israel without male protection or a grandchild to carry on the family name. Poverty-stricken Ruth gleans for corn to eat, because she's hungry. Turns out she, feel, she gleaned in the field of Boaz, a rich relative. Boaz looks after Ruth and protects her. Ruth asks Boaz to marry her for the protection of her family and the family name. Boaz seems very keen, but wait, there's a legal hitch. Someone else is a nearer relative. Will he marry Ruth instead? Da-da, this is all happening. In this final episode, on the second slide, please. Will Ruth get her man after this risky strategy of approaching him at night on the threshing floor, not the dance floor? Who will do his duty? Boaz or this unknown nearer relative who has a prior claim? Will Naomi get the grandchild she longs for? And we all know that as grannies, don't we? We all want a grandchild. Will the family experience God's blessing again? All these questions. So in Ruth 4, the plot summary. Boaz seeks out the male relative who's the nearest of kin to Naomi's husband. Boaz clearly wants to marry Ruth, but he also wants to do things by the book. He's a very honorable chap. If someone else has a prior claim, let him have the first pick. So he holds a meeting at the city gate to buy the piece of land that Naomi's husband owned. But there's a twist. The man would have to marry Ruth as part of the bargain and the land would be in the name of her deceased husband's family, not his. So the other man thinks to himself, this is not a good idea. If I spend all that money on that, to buy that land that won't actually be in my family name, so he declines the offer. Perhaps he already has sons who don't want competition for his wealth and attention. So Boaz is now free to marry Ruth. He's rich enough to afford the land without needing it himself. Perhaps he's childless, so he doesn't have a dynasty with a competing claim. He's happy for the land he buys to be held for any children he and Ruth have in her father-in-law's name. So Boaz and Ruth marry, and they have a son called Obed. Everyone's delighted. And they celebrate God's goodness in turning things around for Naomi. Naomi arrived in the land empty and bitter, but now she's full of thanksgiving and joy. And the final plot in this twist, or twist in this plot, is that Obed's grandchild will be King David himself. So it's a win-win for everybody. We noted in the reading in chapter 4, verse 12, it says, May your family be like Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, it's a complicated bit, this bit. But in Genesis 38, there's a reference. It says, Tamar's husband, children, Tamar's husband died childless. 
So Judah, her father-in-law, slept with her to give her a child who would carry on the name Perez. That's just a side thing. However, through all this story, we have to admire Ruth all the more because of the honourable way she went about sorting things out compared to some of her ancestors. Sorry, I've got to have a drink. Now, there were complicated customs at the time regarding male relatives' duties. There was no social security, and women were not allowed to own property. It was common for a childless widow to be married to the next brother or the nearest male relative to save them from starvation. This nearer male relative clearly hadn't stepped up to his duty as it wasn't in his own interest. So Boaz takes on the role. Bad luck, unnamed relative. You missed out on being the ancestor of King David. And then there's all this bit about the sandals. I don't get that at all. But they were dealing with sandals in the marketplace, trying to sort out who's going to marry this woman. Anyway, you can read it later and sort yourself out. (laughs) The book of of Ruth is a lovely story. It's a love story. It's got everything in it. It's got tragedy, change in fortunes, and a happy ending. But like every good love story, there's more to it than that. It's also a love story between God and his people. And so one of the first things we learn now from this book of Ruth is that God's in charge. We sometimes talk about providence. It's an old-fashioned word that means God's guiding hand behind human events. In everyday dramas of our lives, God is working. You might hear people refer to God incidences as, as opposed to just like coincidence. We call it a God incidence. But you get a strong sense that God was at work For example, Ruth just happened to glean in that particular field that turned out to belong to Boaz, a relative, a kind and honourable man. Now, you may have experienced God incidences in your life, and you may think about those. Anita had given me an example, but as it's her family, I'm not using it. I'm using an incident, a God incident in my situation. At the beginning of COVID, three years ago, you will remember we all went into lockdown. Everyone was walking around with masks. Nobody could go to anyone else's houses. It was a total disaster. One morning, I have a phone call that my mother is very ill uh, in Cleve Hill down here, and I went to see her in full PPE. The ambulance came. We took her into hospital, and she died four days later. However, two or three weeks after that, My husband and I were sitting in our vicarage garden in Armondsbury, where we'd been for 26 years, just thinking about what next now Mum had died. And Philip said to me, well, why don't we retire? We've been 26 years in ministry, time to go. Maybe God's got something else for us. And I had not even thought about it, so it was a bit of a shock. And he said, why don't we retire to Downend, to Cleve Hill, because now we've got a house there, we can go to Downend. I hadn't thought of that either. 
And I thought, well, I'll give it time, I'll think it over. And then about 10 minutes later, who should cycle into our garden but Chris and Anita Dobson? And that was just the icing on the cake because we told them what uh, Philip had just said and they said, yes, that would be a good thing and confirmed to us that it was right for us to come here. And we know that it was right to come here. It's the right thing. So I take that as a God incident. In a minute, at the end of this sermon, you'll have opportunities to think about times when God has led you in that way, in a way that he's taken you forward to the next step that you didn't realize was happening, but God was at the center of it. So it's not always clear how God is working in our lives, but we know he's there. And once, sometimes we can often see, looking back, where God has led us. I, ha- I love this saying, I use this a lot, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Guidance is often in hindsight because we can see where God has led us by looking back over what God has done through our lives. There's been many other times when God intervenes in our lives and we may not see it till later. We may not know how our prayers can be used. Sometimes people pray and things happen. Disasters are averted. Sometimes good things happen in families because of people praying. And some major events in the world, when you get a whole load of people praying, I've seen answers to prayer, when lots of people pray and prayers are answered. In this church, I was absolutely amazed at how Nigel Stowe became healed, because you were all praying, and others like that. And we're praying now for Andy and others to be completely healed. God can do that, and he already is working. The next slide, please, is God Cares. Last week, our preacher referred to the Hebrew word hesed, which is about loving kindness and constancy. This is seen in how God turned things around for Naomi and Ruth. But it was there, even when it looked bleak, even when Naomi couldn't see it. The Lord has afflicted me, she says. We might feel that way too sometimes. But it doesn't mean that God caused that suffering. She laments, and her anger at what she is suffering is turned to God, the only one who could carry it. Even in her anger, Naomi still trusts in God's care. She asks God to show his hesed, his loving kindness, to her daughters-in-law in Ruth 1.8. Then she gets to see it in Boaz, and praises God for it. And Boaz sees it in Ruth herself in chapter 3 for her loyalty to Naomi. So they're in a positive feedback loop of kindness with each other, with Naomi, and with God. And that reflects God's loving kindness to us. He does care when we suffer. He knows the details of of our lives. Jesus says the hairs of our head are numbered and known to God. And Psalm 139 says, he knows when we sit and when we rise. 
So from that, we can see that God does care. The next slide, please. How we respond to life matters. Our attitude, the way we react to suffering and adversity can witness to our faith and build up us, us up and others. Or our attitudes can destroy us and others. This book of Ruth uses another Hebrew word called chael. I think that's how you say it. It means being of good character, being godly. Boaz has plenty of this. Look how polite he is to his employers in chapter 2, and how kind he is to Ruth and Naomi, how honourable he is in chapter 3 and 4. But Ruth also has this in abundance. Look how wisely she responds to each circumstance. They are godly people. Another old-fashioned word that we might use, things like wise, but faithful. These people were faithful, and they were like salt and light wherever they went. So what about you? Would anyone say of you that you are of good character, that you have chael, that you respond with grace and salt and light, even when you're in a hurry, even when you're attacked, even when things go wrong? What comes out of you when you're squeezed? It's understandable to become angry, bitter, and fearful, but it doesn't have to be that way forever. If we allow God to transform us from within and teach us new ways to respond. Ruth and Naomi show how you can be faithful for the long haul, even when current circumstances are against you. And there's plenty of words in the New Testament about Paul, in Paul's letters and Jesus' warning to her followers, his followers, it's going to be tough, but keep going. Be faithful and confident in the empty times as well as in the full times. Wait patiently for the Lord, says the psalmist. Witness to others while we wait. Our attitudes are crucial, but also our actions. We have to be proactive when the time is right, not passive. It's not the actions that force the situation or manipulate things for your own ends, but the actions you sense God is guiding you to take and that you've checked through prayer, study, and wise advice. Ruth took a big risk, but only after taking advice from Naomi, whom she respected. Trusting in God doesn't usually mean doing nothing and waiting for him to do everything. It usually means knocking on doors, praying, seeking advice, taking some action, making that call, taking that step in faithful obedience. You and God together, with the support of your brothers and sisters in Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit,
can sometimes turn things around at work, in your family, in your own situation, maybe not in the way you expect. A verse in Romans 28, which we all need to have hanging above our beds. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We have this example of faithfulness in times of adversity from many books in the Bible, such as Ruth. We have the example of others around us here that we can admire for their faith and their constancy, their witness to God's hesed and the chael, the good character they display when under strain. And you don't know where God's going to lead you when you're proactive with him. On the next slide about the fa- shows the family tree of what happened in the end. So Ruth and Boaz, Boaz had Obed. Obed had, gave, uh, was the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. David, the father of Jesus. What a dynasty. How incredible that this beginning of this story can lead to an almighty story at the end. And Ruth ended up being the grandmother of Israel's best king. We're going to have a time of reflection now and invite the group up to sing, if they would, please. Um, On the end of your pews, you've got a couple of pieces of paper there and some pens and pencils. Perhaps you would send them down the line. And during this next song, we'd like you to think and reflect about what you would take home from that story of Ruth. We've finished our series on Ruth now. We've done four, the four books. There's so much in it. And yet, we would like you to have something concrete to take home that helps you to put this book into practice. So it says, think about a time when you, have expe- when you experienced or are experiencing a struggle. What was or is your attitude to God? What helped you or is helping you to hold on to him? And then maybe the second one, is there a time when you have sensed a big coincidence or a God incidence, when you sensed God at work in an unexpected way, what impact did it have knowing that God was at work in your life? And then thirdly, what can you learn from the story of Ruth that could help you in times of struggle? Amen.